Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live where we're going to talk about bass fishing. A little bit of a hybrid show today. We're going to combine a regular BTL with day four with the man Frank Scaler. So it's day four on day three. What's up, Frank? I'm I'm confused by the days and the numbers, but I love it. So Yeah, well, the I, reason why we're doing day four on day three is because day four, I will be in Springfield, Missouri for the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Which, which I, I understand that auction is going well. Yes, there is a, a an auction that is uh, that runs in conjunction uh, with the Hall of Fame dinner, and that money all goes up. Uh, this is the last week I'll talk about it, guys, because it'll be over the next week. So you just have to. Deal with it. <laughs> I've been pumping it pretty hard the last uh, the last couple of days, but uh, that auction runs in conjunction with the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Rumor is Iconelli is bringing sixty people. To his oh, induction. Six going to be a party, dude. I know there were a bunch of guys that got stuck in Chicago from Philly last night, and they're trying to figure out how to rent a car because Brian the Carpenter was going to try to go fishing. It's it's going to be chaos. I was talking to Dave Mercer the other night, and I said, "What is the over under on number of people in the Iconelli party that end up in the aquarium, like in an actual?" <laughs> <laughs> At some yeah. point in the night, I set the over under at one and a half. I say three. That would be the over. So you're taking the over on I'm the number of the people that go be- swimming. I'm taking the over, and here's why. I could. T- I have a reason why. Okay. Because one person is going to go in and not on their own accord. Someone's going to shove them in. As that person gets shoved in, they're grabbing the person shoving and taking them in. And then somebody's just going to jump in. That'll work. Yeah, that's three. Yeah, you're right. Uh, We got a good show today. We're talking more about transition. You're going to be busting some myths, some myth nomers, some myth nomers. (laughs) I guess they are myth nomers. Some misnomers about uh, the transition period that is either fixing. Oh, that was the most Oklahoma thing I've ever said. Either fixing (laughs) to take place or currently taking place across the country. What a great start. By the way, nice camo, too. You like that? I just wanted to hate. I wanted to blend. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so anyhow... So back to the Hall of Fame, dude. No, I mean, but that's what we're getting into today for today's show. But the auction is going on, and you do have an item in the auction where the proceeds go to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame for grants, uh, scholarships, betterment of the Hall of Fame. Let me blow that up. That is the actual picture right there. Uh, Frank Scalish. Is that a one that's circled to show that yes. it's a one-on-one? Uh, and a then, so what that is, that's going to be framed in a glass deal right now the current bid is a hundred and seventy five dollars uh we gotta get it next next time i'll do something better as far as what i mean better that's freaking awesome no i don't mean better as far as illustration goes i mean i'm gonna offer some other things next time oh okay i got you but there it is uh you can go to bass fishing h-o-f Dot com. Don't do a Google search for it because I guess I guess last year's uh, auction shows up instead. But BassFishingHOF.com. Click on the auction link and then you can go down. I think it's on the third page. There's a Frank Scalish one-of-one autograph drawing. There it is. You can bid on it. There's a little description about it. Uh, we talked about it before, but that would be a great addition to the man cave. Have you seen the uh, the trips on this? This is insane. Look at this. Yeah, uh, I, Ben Milliken, a day with Ben is up to 10K. <laughs> <laughs> 10 grand. That is fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you um, can there, also... There's some cool things, dude. I, I mean, wouldn't you go snakehead fishing? Yeah, 100%. We had uh, Fat Cat on to talk about snakehead fishing. The one that I am interested in and I don't want to bring attention to it, but I'm going to, is the bullfrog hunt with uh, Steve Bowman and uh, Tim Friel. Nice. They were voted Frog Hunters of the Decade in 1989 by the American Frog Hunters Association. And that I do not believe is that's true. I think that's real. That's, they come that's accredited. Bad. That's yes, fabulous. They, but that uh, 
a day on 10 killer with Christy would be hard to beat, but there's that all sorts of all sorts of cool stuff that you can look through. You can see all these different trips. Uh, we had a whole show about it. On yeah, I, I actually watched the show. I loved it. So go ahead. Bid on that. Let's try to get Frank up to, uh, I think 250 would be a good number or 300, 250 or 300 would be a good number. Let's say between 250 and 300. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. And then the Bigfoot hunting with Hackney is up to 1500. Now I think, uh, switch you back there. So you're not freaked out. I think (laughs) that, uh, I know Dave Mercer is on a plane right now flying to the hall of fame, which takes place tomorrow evening. But I think that Kevin and Davey are going to be working the room for live it auction items. So I'm guessing that the hackney, once they get their hands on that and start trying to It'll pump, pump that, up. that's, that's, that's going to go through. the. Room. I, I, I like Greg a ton. Um, you know, when I, when I fished, um, we got along really well. Um, his personality is absolutely fabulous because he is so, his humor is so dry. It, you it, fished with him in the boat or just on tour with him? Just on tour. I never actually got in a boat and made a cast with him. Um, but I remember the first day that I met him. Um, I forget where we were. I forget what lake we were on, but I know there was a big giant wooden picnic table and I was newbie to the game and, um, you know, I just went and sat down. <laughs> I just went and sat down with him. It's like stalking. <laughs> and then, and he was hilarious. I mean, absolutely hilarious. Were there any guys when you first got on tour that you were actually, for lack of a better term, intimidated by? No, I was stupid. When I started fishing, I didn't, I, I won't say I was stupid. When I started fishing, I wasn't intimidated by a single fisherman out there, not because they don't have skills, okay? Mm-hmm. Just because my only concern was catching fish. And so all I cared about was catching fish. Um, I didn't worry about what someone else was doing, what another competitor, how, you know. All I said was I got to catch one at a time and just keep catching fish. And and then that first season on on tour, um, I think I cashed a check in every event, but two. And, um, I used to call home and tell my wife, can you believe it? I got another check. And then, uh, then of course the sophomore slump hit and I was like, can you believe it? This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that very first one that you fished the South Carolina invitational in 94, was that a boater on boater draw? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I've got that pulled up. That top 10 in your first BASS event is literally a who's who in the Hall of Fame of bass fishing. Do you have, do you remember who finished in the top 10 in that event? I do not. I Manning, really do South Carolina. So I'm assuming that's Santee. Was it, it could, Santee? Could, it could, yeah, it would have to yeah, be. Yeah, it was Santee. Manning. Okay. This was the top 10 in that event in 94, your first bass event. Just take a couple guesses. Holy smokes, dude. I can't guess. Okay. Kevin Worth. All right. Jim Jim Nolan. I'm not familiar with Jim Nolan. Okay. okay. I remember Jim. Uh, Jay Yellis was third. Randy Blockett was fourth. Eddie Paul was fifth. Do you know? I don't remember Eddie Paul. Do you? I don't either. No. Uh, Rick Pierce of Pierce Family Bass Cat. Yeah. President of Bass Cat. He was sixth at that event. Peter T was seventh. Rick Clun was eighth. Uh, it has John Bitter here. Did Jim have a brother named John? I don't know, but they're bitter people. <laughs> they are. And then <laughs> and then David Fritz rounded out the top ten. Wow. There's one, two, three, four, five. I could see six or seven Hall of Famers out of that top ten. I know there's some that are already in there. It's crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 94, 2004, 2014. Dang, that was almost that was almost 30 years ago, Frank. Holy smokes. Wow. All right. Last time we talked about crappie fishing. We talked about is it the swimmer that we talked about? We talked about the um live roamer. Live roamer. That's it. The live we all we also talked about the um little swimmer and we talked about the um um 
your favorite. Um, why am I drawing a blank? I don't know, but I need to pull up Bobby Garland so we can remember the name of it. <laughs> it's the Slab it's Hunter. The, yeah, the Slab Hunter. Slab Hunter. The Slab Hunter. And then the show before that was the DD22 show with the new colors, the True Gizzard and the Envy. That one yeah. was a real banger show. If you guys want to know why you need a couple DD22s in your box, at least, uh, regardless of where yeah. you are in the country, that's a great show. Uh, we're going to get back to bass fishing since we put people through just the excruciating agony of crappie fishing, which you caught a few recently, didn't you? Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> like a lot of big ones. Like a lot, like an insane amount. And, um, you know, Matt, we you, the one thing you said the other day when we were, you know, bloviating about crappie fishing was that um, you got to you, – with a lot with forward facing sonar you have to be responsible and so we probably caught well we probably caught well over 50 but didn't take near that home mm -hmm. i never do i i just take enough home for you know a couple of meals and let the rest go and i don't take the biggest giantest ones we can catch i i usually keep you know 11 to 14 15 inches um i don't take the sloppy ones home um you could do damage the the forward-facing sonar is fabulous tool um but you know you still have to be responsible with it as an angler um and, and i can see how on some of the smaller uh your tinier lakes you know thousand acres or less how you could you could decimate a lake um, if you put five guys on there that know what they're doing and they can, they can literally decimate the place. So yeah. you have to be really, um, you know, really just cognizant, mindful, yeah, mindful and cognizant. Uh, the one thing we did not <clears throat> mention in the crappie episode that, uh, that I think is important and, uh, is when you're, when you're throwing those small crappie baits like the uh live roamer or any of the little minnow style baits a loop knot on your jig head oh, is yeah, critical to success you need to learn and i call it the rappel a knot uh because it's the knot that they suggest you tie with the right i don't know if it's still but remember when you used to get the yeah. rappel it had the little the little thing in there like how to troll your g11 and then it's like here's how to tie the loop knot where you tie an overhand granny with the uh with a big tag end and you leave the hole and then you go through the eye and then you go back through the overhand granny, wrap it three times, go back through, boom, easy loop knot. Yeah, it's really easy. Um, we tie that steelhead fishing a lot when we're swinging streamers. So the streamers articulate um, really nicely. Um, so that knots, I'm very familiar with that knot, but that, but you're right. You got, you have to. And I, I, I did an experiment because, um, the waters where we live are, are much cleaner than what Matt and I have ever fished. So I used a fluorocarbon leader on mine. And so every time I wanted to change a bait style or a jig head style, I would have to retie everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and so I got kind of irritated with that. Well, they make these little things that are called fast clips. They're tiny little tiny little clips and you 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 can you just clip the like if you want to throw a road runner you clip it on if you want to throw a jig head you just clip it on um and i was a little concerned <laughs> matt because <laughs> because some of those crappies can be big and i wasn't sure the strength of these little tiny clips wire right and so dude the first giant one i got i smoke them and i boat flip them in the boat all right yeah. and it, it comes off in the boat oh. and i Ooh. see that i see the the crappie jig laying on the floor and the crappies flopping around and it was only about a pound and a halfer and um i grabbed the crappie and i oh, chucked it back um because i was just out just playing you know so i chuck them back and i noticed that the, the jig's not attached to my line and dude, that little clip was straightened out. Like I got him in the boat. He came off in midair and landed in the bottom of the boat. And so I said, okay, that's never going to happen again. So from now on, I am Rapala nodding everything. 
<laughs> I had it. I had it there. Uh, I saw it. That's yeah. That's cool. Pop it up again there. It's literally just the overhand, and then you loop it back through, wrap it three times, go back through that loop, go back through the other loop. And there's probably nothing uh, tougher than trying to describe how to tie a knot on a podcast. So oh, you can't do it. <laughs> you, dude, you can't. Don't even try. You can't do it. <laughs> It's the most visual. It's the most visual thing you have to see. Can you imagine doing an FG knot? Explain no, how to tie it. No, I used to hate when I shot videos with the with the touring pros when they were like, "Hey, we need knot videos." I always dreaded oh, yeah. dreaded yeah. filming them. Well, and now the, on the other end, I dread trying to tie them to show people. Oh yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, you know. I, I use you use the double uni right for braid to floral connection. Yeah, yeah. And which, I and, which... I and I use right, and I use the FG net, and um, because it's like this, we both throw the polymer knot on dang near everything we tie on the business end. Yep. Uh, unless unless you need a loop knot, and then you're doing the Rapala knot. But so so you you said why why would you change why would you change the, the um, polymer knot because it it doesn't fail if you tie it right it's it's the great it's a great knot I've never had an issue ever with it so why why switch well it's the same thing with the FG okay mm -hmm. I've never had an issue with the FG and so I have a hard time like like the double polymer is easy i mean the double uni is easier to tie i think than an fg knot because there's less room for an error the if you don't do the fg knot properly you have an there's an error hey look at this there's your tutorial on how to tie the fg it's oh my gosh <laughs> it's a 10 step process oh yeah it is but it's not that complicated um it's truly, truly not complicated. You and then had I, to learn that recently. That's not a knot you've been tying for a long time. That hasn't been around a long time, Frank. It's been around for like three years. And you taught yourself how to tie it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's literally, that knot is literally as thin as the braid. I don't ever have an issue with the uni to uni. No, I know. And, and, and Frankie ties the uni to uni. And he never has an issue. I will say that the guys who are the guys, 95% of them tie the FG. It's just so thin. I mean, the FG knot is super, super thin. Um, I've experimented with other braid to fluoro connections, and some of them get stuck in the, in the front guide. Yeah. Um, and that's a problem for me. So not, not so much if I'm using a short leader, cause you never make it to the knot, but if I'm, but if, but if I'm using a, a 15 foot leader or something and you're smallmouth fishing, you got to get the smallmouth close enough to grab, you know what I mean? So, um, I kind of just never had an issue with the FG. So I stayed with it. And then I tried something that they said they cautioned you against doing, and that was, uh, super gluing your FG. Okay. And so I super glued one and it, that takes the, um, design of the FG knot and gives it a faulty spot because it, as you pull that knot gets tighter around your braid connection. I mean, around your mono or uh, fluorocarbon connection. Mm -hmm. Well, when you super glue it, you, you lose, it loses that grip on it it doesn't okay. tighten up anymore and so i i did that one time and one time only and um and like i said i've just never had i've never experienced an issue with it but then from in bass fishing from uh from your main line to your eye of your hook or your snap you're always a palomar guy always always i i the the palomar has not failed me ever uh, most guys they'll break off and they'll they'll blame the knot but it's not the knot the line gets caught where the where the hook guy meets the hook shank there's that gap there the line will go around and get caught in there and it's like a cutting tool and if you set the hook and the line is in there it'll cut the line so um you know this is the palomar right here so i'm a palomar guy too and this is the 
this is by far the most important thing I could ever say about a Palomar knot, and I'm sure you'll agree, is you want see right down in this area right here. 110%. If you do not see the the cross hatching where you have the two lines that go over the eye and then the two lines, if those are not clean, if they're crisscrossed like that, instead of like this, if they're crisscrossed, that line will cut each other and you will break off on your hook set every single time. Right. And, 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 and done right. It usually falls into place. Yep. If you're in a hurry and you're doing it sloppy and maybe you're, your pull through loop is too big um, or the, you know, or your lures flailing around, it could twist on you. Um, and so you just got to be careful. So I, it's an easy knot to tie. I just take my time with it and I look for my double, the double knots in the uh, hook eye right there. Or, or the snap. I look for the double knots. If they're doubled up nice and good, cinch it down and cut it and be on my way. Mm-hmm. Are you a uh, are you a close a a a snug tag end guy? Like, are you a stickler for a snug tight <laughs> tag end? <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, Easy. God, ev- eventually, Easy. I'll, eventually, I'll grow up and become mature. Or well, were you? Yeah. Will you give it a an inch or two of of play? I say this because when I fished with Mark Jeffries, he has like a inch and a half to two inch tag end on everything and it drives me up a wall no i cut it short but i not i cut it short but i i want a little bit sticking out of the end because if you snug it right up to the knot if the knot tightens you could pull that through the knot um but it's close mine are super close dude they're they're like almost too close for comfort for most guys but I don't cut it right up against itself because if it snugs down a little more, um, it's going to open up. Yes, <laughs> that snug tight end. We are talking about. <laughs> this is not a night show. <laughs> this is uh, a, this is a daytime show. Yeah, that's a. Uh, uh, David said the Palomar not tied well is strongest. Tied poorly is one of the weakest. Correct. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't knock on wood mm-hmm. somewhere in here there. I don't experience breakoffs. Uh, Jeremiah, I think it was Hackney. We had him on a couple years ago. It wasn't probably going, that's some great memory there. Jeremiah he said, I think it was your podcast, but I think Hackney said that that's about the only knot he ties as well at Palomar. And I do remember asking Hackney as we talk about his uh, Sasquatch hunt and your first dinner, it's a Hackney show. But he said, <laughs> I asked him, I said, Hey, I said, under normal circumstances, when you're flipping 20 to 25 pound test, how often do you break off on the hook set? And he goes, never. He goes, you should never break off on the hook set unless they're extenuating circumstances. So if you're fishing, yeah. Go ahead. No, he just said you should never break off unless it's like, you know, you're around cables or zebra muscles or something like that. But if you are breaking off on a hook set, it is 100% on you. Absolutely. It is. Um, I Like, I don't, like, I hear guys say, oh, I broke it off. I broke another one. I broke another one. I broke another one. I said, you better analyze what's going down here. Because if, when I was competing, um, I, the, the, the key to success, aside from your knowledge, okay, the key to success is to control every variable that's within your ability to control. And so if I experienced issues, like for example, um, if I'm crankbait fishing and I keep losing fish, uh, they jump and come off all the time. Um, then I analyze everything from rod length, rod power, line, hooks, all the way down, all the way down. Um, and you can only change one thing at a time to figure out where the problem is. If you try, if you change multiple situations at one time you you can't narrow it down because now you don't know was it the hook was it the stiffness of the rod was it the line was it you don't know if you change more than one so you got to do one at a time so in my course of you know becoming a pro going through the pros anytime i ran into an issue i would i would start breaking it down one component at a time to alleviate the problem and 
I have gotten to the point now where I almost, this is going to be the kiss of death. I don't even want to say it. Knock on wood again. Um, I almost never lose a fish and I almost, and I can't even remember the last time I broke one off. I just can't. I mean, you, you have to go through like, like my crankbait rods. Um, everybody knows I throw Powell crankbait rods. I like graphite over fiberglass. I don't own a fiberglass cranking rod. Um, I don't think they're sensitive enough. I don't think you feel enough. Um, so I don't even own one. Um, but with my cranking situation, I noticed that certain rods are certain crankbait rods are better for certain things. Like when I'm target casting, I'll use the, the, the uh, endurance 725. It's a, it's a seven foot two and it's a, it's a five power. So it's like a medium heavy, but it's got a nice, super fast tip. The tip does all the work, but it gives me accuracy at close range. Um, when I hook a fish, I, I have the backbone to, to get them out of cover. Cause most of the time I'm square billing with that stick. So it gives me the ability to get them out of the cover and control them. I tried square billing with my seven and a half footers and my eight footers, you lose close range accuracy. Um, and then when you're tight to the cover, it's cumbersome. You got the long rod in the way, a lot of overhanging branches. Sometimes the eight footer gets caught in the branches. So you just eliminate as you go. And it, and it's with every single technique that I fish, it's the same thing. I, I would eliminate everything until I got it down where it was bulletproof. Um, Carolina rigging, the first time I went to braid for the Carolina rig rod, there was a very distinct set the hook, break the leader in the beginning, because, because when we used when we used um, mono back in the day and then fluorocarbon, your, your fluorocarbon to fluoro or mono to mono, uh, I used a, a, you know, a, a seven and a half foot heavy for my Carolina rigging because I needed to get all that line stretch out mm -hmm. as fast as I could. Well, when I had, when I went to the braid, I'm using my Carolina rig setup. And it was too way too much. And I kept snapping leader after leader after leader. So I understood what the issue was right away with that system. So I dropped down to a 765, which is a, a seven and a half foot medium heavy, extra fast tip. So you're basically putting the stretch of the line back into your hook set, but you're doing it with the rod. Correct. You, you, theoretically, you're not putting the stretch back, but I. But you're right. I'm. I'm compensating a little bit. And the other thing that I did was on my Carolina rig rod. If I, if I reel down and pull on a fish, my drag slips. It goes ah. just a smidge. That's the emergency break. Okay. That that is the emergency break. So. So I got the Carolina rig thing down. Um, what's that say? Cr crazy. We could. Even oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no mono. kidding. No, no kidding. Because you're talking about when you, especially on a Carolina rig back in the day, you know, you bomb a cast out there. You're literally, <laughs> you're, you're casting that thing. I, I don't even know how far, but when you cast it, you're like, <laughs> You know what I mean? And then it, boom, it hits the water and then you get a bite and you reel down to it and you pull and you reel and you reel and you reel. You probably have four foot of line stretch back then that you have to pick up and tighten up on that fish to get the fish. It's amazing. We ever landed one. You know what I mean? So, so the, the technology has come super far because the rods of today are, are, mm -hmm. they're also way better than yesterday's equipment. The line is way better than yesterday's equipment. Um, everything we use as fishermen today is far superior as far as equipment goes. Now, some of the old lures, I think, have it over some of the new lures. And I'm not going to get into each lure and why I believe that, but I do, I do believe but that. But even on the old lures, you're putting new components on them. 
100%. You put new split rings, new hooks. You have to. Um, you absolutely have to. Uh, so, you know, so the, the sport today is just, um, it's, it's fabulous. I mean, this sport's fabulous. It's never ending and it's always learning like here. Um, okay. Everybody knows I design colors and lures and blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows that. So I was down the basement the other day. I have uh, a signature series numbered limited edition signature series coming out on LureNet. And I have the Legends Bait Effects series coming out on LureNet. So I'm experimenting with with all kinds of different pearls for the bait effects. Um, yeah, the Sea Rig episode was good. Um, so I'm, I'm experimenting with all those pearls for the bait effects. But my signature series colors, I'm doing things a little bit. Um, I want to say, I don't want to say more like the color number seven, but but kind of like the color number seven where I'm going to jump out of the boundaries just a tiny Which bit. I would like to, I would like to interrupt you to say that the reason that okay, I believe a big reason why you're getting the opportunity to do this is because of the BTL listeners and their feedback for the color number seven. That, yeah. Oh yeah. That came out a couple years ago. So a lot of this stuff that Frank is going to, you're going to get the opportunity is because of the loyal BTL listeners. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's fabulous. And and here, look, you guys have the you guys have more power than you realize because if you because if you want to see things like if you want a, a color to be brought back or a lure to be brought back, if you want that stuff, if you guys speak up about it and I can show where there's a demand for it, uh, in most instances I can bring it back or I can get it to come back. Um that's why this this venue is so cool because if you think about it, um, I, I'm sitting here at my house behind my computer. Matt's at his studio behind his computer. Okay, and then and look at all the changes we've done so far. Look at everything that we've and when I say we, I don't necessarily mean Matt and I. I mean you guys, the audience. Mm -hmm. um, look at what we've accomplished. The bring back of Canary was absolutely fabulous. I had a bunch of guys DMing me for that color in Normans. We brought it back and it was a and it was fabulous. Um, a color they can never ever ever get again. And so and and here I got another color that's I'm bringing back, but I can't talk about it right now. Oh, but you can't tease us like that, Frank. Yeah, I can't. I just can't bring it up yet. But okay. But, but when it comes back, I will. I will be on it because there, I, I will not only will I be on that color, I'm going to explain to you why it's so good. And, and it, and it, and it's the simplest, simplest thing on earth. And when I explain it, you guys are going to lose your mind because nobody thinks about this stuff. And so I got them to bring it back. And I got them to bring it back in a bait that I wanted it back in so bad. So you will just, okay, calm down. <laughs> no, you're good. You sent calm me, down. I remember, I want to show this to people. I don't think I've shown it before. Can I show this color, that one that you sent me? Before? Show whatever. Yeah, whatever. I can. All right. The BTL crappie. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that yeah. should be. That should... This is a color that needs to be in in a a every plug that you throw around brush anytime in the post spot you or spawn whenever whenever gotta... the uh yeah i'll go big whenever the crappie are up shallow or around the brush and i'm scared to throw these because they're so beautiful oh yeah that's my real crappie pattern dude i wonder if that came out on paint shop one time I don't know. It's freaking phenomenal, though, especially with as much as we've seen in the glide baits play and how we've figured out how many of these lakes that have small stunted crappie in them, the bat. Like, so what I've seen with the forward facing sonar, which I'm sure you've seen now, oh, yeah. too, are a lot of time around the crappie. Like, let's say you're just crappie fishing. And when they stop biting, I used to always think ah, it's because, you know, we're we're catching them. And they're getting used to us. It has nothing to do with that. 90% of the time it has to do with the big bad wolf, the predator, the largemouth bass is lurking just outside of that pile. 
and you'll watch them come through and just eat eight inch crappie like it's their job because it really is yeah it's really crazy because you you could when you're doing it you see you see what the crappie look like on your screen and then you see the shark show up and yeah, um the shark and it's wild because we caught the other day we caught some bass in the mix too things got a little sluggish and then all of a sudden that freaking 14 foot rods boat over to the core <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a, uh, that was, yeah, that's what Mike Mark said. That was well said, Uncle Frank. But yeah, so, you know, so cool stuff. And then, um, you know, like, like, okay, War Eagle has a new football jig out. It's the pro football jig. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic, it, this is in the package. I'll, I'll get, I'll get into this real quick. It's in the package. Um, the pro football jig. It has a medium heavy wire, so it's kind of thin, but it's super, super strong, which is good. I got I got one in the thing I'll take out. Um, and I already trimmed the skirt on it. Um, but it's it's the wire on it is thin for easy hook penetration, but this thing is strong as could be. The weed guard is not a super thick, heavy, heavy weed guard, but it's heavy enough. Um, really, really important in the football jig the other thing i love about this thing is the way the football head is designed i'm, I'm trying to see if i can get the if i mm -hmm. can get the right angle on it. it it goes it goes up to the to the line tie and nice symmetrical here almost just, like a point i just found it you can see it right there really well yeah, so it's almost to a point. So here's what happens. It makes it more snag-proof. Not only more snag-proof in the rocks, but it makes it more snag-proof in brush, which is very important, especially if you guys fish table rock a lot. You'll, you know what I'm talking about. So we were talking about colors. So I had given them a bunch of skirt colors that I wanted to see in a football jig. And lo and behold, um, they didn't even tell me about it. They just came out with it. Um, this is called Frank's Blue Craw. Ooh. Okay, this is a color I've been tying for a long, long time. And they made it, and they actually called it Frank's Blue Craw. And this this is the three-quarter ounce. Um, I like the three-quarter ounce a lot. Um, I'll start with a half, but usually wind up with the three-quarter. Now, look at the way I trim the skirt. You see how it looks like two layers? Mm -hmm. The top part of the skirt bellows out. So I trim the top part of the skirt down um, so it's shorter than the back. Now, here, I, I'm going to open up the one that I didn't trim, and I'll show them to you side by side. This is really important. I got another trick that I did, and I'm going to show you that too. Um, this is really important. So this is what the untrimmed skirt looks like ooh this is the untrimmed skirt and then let me get back to my trim skirt and then this is the trim skirt so you see the difference that's it looks like a totally different jig it is and so what happens is i get i get more movement out of the front part of the skirt here now here's why here's the other important reason why i trim this thing Okay. Oh, trimmed one. Okay. So, well, here's, here's the other tip. The other tip I do is on these, especially on green pumpkins and watermelons. I, I bar my, my, um, keeper guards. And all I do is I take a brown Sharpie and basically I make bars on the bait because I, I know, know that, that looks sexy. Yeah, because here's what I noticed in the water, because I pay attention to color all the time. Here's what I noticed in the water. The straight green pumpkin slash watermelon uh, weed guards stand out differently against these against the jigs. They're really noticeable in the water. They're not as not as natural as it looks out of the water. And so I bar them. I bar all of them. Anytime I, ha except for my black ones, obviously you don't have to. So anytime I do this, this is what I do to them. I put the, the bars on because I want to break that solid, shiny 
weed guard up. I, right. I, I don't want it as visible. Now, back to the trimming of the skirt. So I, I trim them like this for a reason. If you notice that they're just behind the hook, they're just behind the hook. All right. So if I'm going, I have four trailers that I use almost exclusively on my football jigs. Unfortunately, one of them is not made anymore. So you'll have to use a twin tail grub. And th this was an old yum product that's discontinued. This is my favorite football jig trailer on earth. I like the paddle tails on the ends. Got the, you said the swimming yo mama? It's the um, bad jam, I believe. Okay. Anyway, this is my number one. And I the reason I like it is because of the shape of the body. So it's wider than it is thick. It'll help keel the jig and keep the jig riding hook point up. It helps with that. So the other, my other trailer of choice and i'm going to rig these up and then and then just trash them just to show you my other trailer of choice is the yum spine craw and i use the spine craw when i when i want a short compact bait i see how far i cut i cut a lot of a lot off of it and so when i rig it down and i'm going to show you the importance of your skirt trimming here in a minute okay so when I ram that thing up against the skirt like that, it, it bellows the inside of the skirt out. But if you notice, my pinchers are sticking out below my skirt. Mm -hmm. This is the important thing because now what's going to happen is you're not impairing the action on the fast claw. At the, the, the spine craw has a super tight fast claw movement. So now you're not impairing the action. If you have strands of skirt material they get in the way of this and believe it or not they stop them from fluttering when you're dragging it so that's that's that um probably my second all-time favorite uh football jig trailer is a yum money craw and this is bama magic it's green pumpkin and blue pearl um this teamed up with this skirt combination is hard to beat so, again, this action is a little bit different than the other stuff. These claws move very differently. They're, they get tight together, and they're wild. They crisscross on top of each other, and they're really wild how they move. So, again, my trim skirt. So, now I have the business end of the trailer hanging below the skirt. This gives me a big, bulky top profile in the water. And then these legs in the water, they actually crisscross back and forth like that, nice and tight. They move real tight together. All right. So on this three-quarter ounce, if I'm fishing shallower rock piles and, and stuff like that, I go to the three-quarter because then I swim it like a wobblehead. And it does the same thing for me. That's why I never, I never got in, I never got on the wobblehead hardcore because this was my version of it. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, I said we call that scrubbing a football head before the before <laughs> scrub the, right. it across the bottom, cast it up into two, three foot of gravel, and just slow crank that thing. And if you start right. the three quarter by the end of the day, it's about a half ounce. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. And so, and that's this is my. These are my two favorite trailers, bar none, mm -hmm. right here. These are my mm -hmm. two favorites, bar none. It's, um, go ahead. It's interesting. I'm going to piggyback on this. I want to add this, Frank. So this is my favorite footage of crawfish underwater. And you can see, just based on how they behave, you can see the flaring. You can I'm see, guard. <laughs> but but like, look at, look at how you've got antennas. You've got legs, you've got all sorts of stuff, and then it gets compact. They come together. When they scoot backwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what you're imitating right there. That's what you're looking at, and that's what you basically just showed how to 
how to make with your football heads. Right. And so, and then the next trailer I use, if I want um, a more wild, wide claw action is I'll, I'll use the Christie craw. Okay. Because these, these, these claws in the water go out and vibrate out here like that real wild like and so those are those are my four um football jig trailers that i literally live by um <laughs> you know what i wouldn't even hesitate to do that i, I wouldn't hesitate that in one second to do that put a big giant uh, worm on the back or yeah, a, 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 a uh a stick bait on the back there's someone they do that up north a lot is put a cinco style bait a yeah, my buddy go fishes Mexico all the time, and they'll put a full five. Oh, show the hook on that. There are a couple of guys that wanted to see the hook on that bait, Frank. Yeah, so I'm gonna get the hook exposed perfectly. Okay, it's not a, a funky hook. hook or anything. It's just no, and it's a little shorter shanked, <laughs> which I love because it, your trailers work better on the shorter hook. It's a little shorter shanked, which makes it a little more weedless. The weed guard's got the right angle on it. You see yep. how the end of the weed guard comes right behind the barb of the hook. Yep. You see how that weed guard's tilted down a little. That's in an episode of BTL as well under football heads. Correct. Um, so this is really, uh, this uh, is all around a really good, good deal right here. Is that this time of year? Will you throw that this time of year? Yeah, like? absolutely. So, so I guess that's the transition, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it. we could save it. That is a War Eagle. Yes, that is the new War Eagle Pro football head. There you go. I'll there you go. That. And here, this would be a great. This would be a great time to throw this up. You're fast on the computer, Matt. Oh, don't say that. Why no, not? We're going to have a. Oh, yeah, that's right. The that BTL works on that too, because that's not on sale. BTL 23, 15% off of that jig right there at lurenet.com. Right. So this is a, this is actually a really great time. Um, this is really a great time of year to be throwing a football jig. Um, in the transitional stages, the bass are going back to what I call their pre spawn locations. Um, they're going to be on the flats connected to the mainland because that's where all the baits going. That's where all the bass are going. So they're going to start to use those. Um... <laughs> I can't either, dude. I can't either. <laughs> Matt had to call me and remind me. <laughs> Gators Adventure said, sorry, Uncle Frank on a Wednesday. I can't keep up with all the different days and times. Okay, back to transition. So, yeah, so what happens is they might, so just remember this, the bigger the flats, the more the bass. Uh, so, and I'm looking for stuff connected to the mainland this time of year. Um, and when they get on secondary points and those big gravel flats that are, you know, connected to the mainland come out and drop off sharp at the other, at the back end of them into the main river channel the football jig is is money so, i mean so are crankbaits also this time of year because here's the one thing the one thing that i have to tell you i don't know how much time we have left how much time do we have left however long it takes okay so however long it takes so i'm gonna we'll wrap this up in a we'll wrap this up briefly so 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 what so you have to remember something, and here's one of the myths. Um, everybody goes, ooh, it's getting cooler out at night. The, the bass are going to start moving because the water temperatures are dropping. The bass don't start moving because the water temperatures start to fall. Because the first water to cool up is the backs of pockets and creeks and shallow water areas are the first to start feeling the effects of the cool down. The main lake water barely fluctuates a degree or two, maybe a little on the surface, but once you get below the surface, it's all what mm -hmm. it was. They start to move predicated on the length of daylight. Just like in late winter, early spring, the bass start to go where they want to go 
because of the days are starting to get longer. In the fall, all the bait fish starts to bunch together to get ready for their migrations because the daylight's now getting shorter and shorter. So that's what initially makes the move happen. Because a bass in 15 or 20 feet of water doesn't know it's three or four degrees cooler in five feet of water. They have no idea until they actually physically get to that environment. That's when, and then they start to feed heavy and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that's really the whole thing. Now, remember um, the gizzard shad lake show and the blueback herring and the threadfin show. We did three baitfish shows. Okay. Yep. So the blueback herring, they live in open water all the time, but they migrate to the backs of creeks and pockets and rivers in the winter late fall winter they're going to have a mass migration crazy enough gizzard shad do the exact same thing they migrate up the creeks and the rivers okay threadfin shad will migrate but threadfin shad want current so they're going to want an active water flow okay okay so now hear this you know that that gizzard shad cannot tolerate dirty turbid water where you go in the back of a creek and the waters you could see it it's dirty it's got it's thick it looks thick thread i mean blueback herring can't live in that the the blueback needs clean water to survive so the bluebacks if you run into that situation the you pull out to the transition where the dirty water meets the clean water and that's where you're going to run into your bluebacks now conversely gizzard shad can totally tolerate that dirty water and they can live in it and thrive in it so this is important because if you're on a gizzard shad lake and you encounter dirty water in the back of a pocket or a creek you don't have to find the clear transition zone because those bait fish are already up there. That's when your spinner bait's going to knock them dead. Your big bodied square bills are going to knock them dead. That's when, you know, you have to understand all of this so you can understand what you're fishing. So if you're on a blueback lake where that's the main forage, you have to understand what the bluebacks want. If you have, a gizzard chat or a thread fin lake, you got to understand what they want because right now everything's bunching up. The most mm -hmm. important element in this transition period that you could ever have is bait. If you don't have bait, you don't have bass. The, the transition period is 100% predicated on bait the bait's moving where it's got to go mostly shallow up pockets and stuff now they'll retreat to the guts the deep guts and pockets and everything but they're going towards the bank mm -hmm. okay in the springtime you're like yeah but all the bass that are going to the bank in the spring you got to find the bait the bait's not the most important thing in the spring the most important thing in the spring for bass is spawning and so what they're doing is they're going to their spawning locations. There's going to be food for them to eat when they get there. Mm -hmm. They're going to spawn. This transition is all about the bait. That was, that was the main thing. I, wanted. I, I cannot, <laughs> I laugh. I'm laughing as you talk about this, Frank, because as you know, I just got back from uh, Lake of the Ozarks Bassmaster open there. Mm-hmm. And two things <clears throat> that I want to point out. One, you talk about the bait in the guts, and I was skipping a football jig, I was, which is something that I don't, I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, I finished 60th out of like 200 guys. So it wasn't a great event. It wasn't a total disaster. It was a solid. I had a limit each day, but I was skipping a half-ounce football jig, which you wouldn't think that skipping a jig around docks for isolated fish would be predicated on bait. However... I found out during my practice and as the tournament started, uh, and I didn't really realize this until the actual tournament, but what I realized was all of the good pockets that had docks in it where I was getting bit had suspended balls of thread fin out in the middle of the 
guts and I was fishing secondary rounded pea gravel points that went back to a narrow gut. And I basically was cutting across and was like, my God, that's a big ball of bait out in the middle. And then I started scoping around and saw lots of balls of bait. And then I started catching fish off the balls of the bait. And this mm-hmm. was on day one of the tournament. And I realized that all the pockets where I was getting bit out of, those fish were back there. They were utilizing the docks for cover, but they were back there because the balls of bait were back there and migrating towards the backs. 100%. The other thing that that I thought of during the time when I saw it was we stayed at a, uh, we stayed at a big uh, VRBO condo. And they had the long docks, you know, Lake of the Ozark docks where we had boat slips where we stayed on the water. Well, during practice, you'd walk down or in the day you'd walk down your the row of of the walkway to get down to the dock and you could look down in the water. Well, in the water up against into the rocks were big gizzards like that. And they were swimming in groups of four to ten and they were feeding on the bottom Exactly yep. like you talked about in the gizzard shad episode as yep. to why ribbon tail worms work as to why massive giant baits on the bottom work. And they literally were down in the rock. And the only thing you saw were there was their tail up and it was doing this. Yeah. And I said, my God, it's a 12 inch worm. A hundred percent, dude. I mean, they, I, I got it. I got it here in my gizzard shad notes. Let me see. It was it was exactly like you described it on the show. I'm trying to see what percentage. I think it was 20 percent of the time they feed on the bottom. It's funny because I didn't pull these notes out until this morning. Well, I can't uh, really. I think it was it. like twenty percent of the time they feed off the bottom. I mean, I remember. I just remember yeah, that it's it's a fact. Um, and 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 that's important to know. And, you know, it's like this. Um, it, when the in, in with blueback herring, when the sun comes out, the bluebacks go down. All right. Um, with gizzard shad, when the sun comes out, they come up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you got to realize, you know, you got to, that's, I mean, gizzard shad, I'm sorry, opposite. Gizzard shad go down when the sun comes up, blueback herring come up when the sun comes up. So that's important to know too, because if you're crankbait fishing, um, that's why on gizzard shad lakes, when it's sunny, bright and sunny out, the crankbait bite's so astronomical because all the gizzard shad pack down on the rock piles and stuff. And, and that's why the bluebacks, when the sun's out, you know, they're, they're near the surface. You got a great top water bite going, you got that mid column bite going. So that it's important to know, I mean, bait fish is, it's an important thing. And if you want to, if you want to go back, you can look at some of the, the old episodes. We did a blueback herring episode, a gizzard chat episode and a separate thread fin episode for all the details. Um, and then you can get that and it's, they're accurate. They're very accurate. Knots, football jigs and bait fish transition, a trifecta <laughs> for show 132. Yes. We had, I had to get back into bass fishing after the last episode of, um, CTO. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I gotta, I gotta really. I don't know if I should thank you or punch you next time I see you because I am Dignity. so addicted. It's bringing joy to your life. Oh, I am so addicted to it. It's just filthy. <laughs> you know what's so addicted to supposed it. to allegedly potentially come out tomorrow? I do not. Should I know? Yeah. Not out right now. All I'm right. Just checking to make sure the uh, twenty. 24 Bassmaster open schedule. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you guys are going to guilt me. All right. this. <laughs> Before it comes out, we'll end it. We'll end it on this. We're talking. So you're not obviously fishing them all. You're fishing them to try. If, if potential, even if there's a 5% chance, let's just entertain that hypothetical. We're going to entertain the hypothetical. Okay. We've done this before, but, but name the list of lakes that people, when they see this schedule, if, if it enhances the odds, of Frank, name name the lakes that you'd like to see on it. 
that because oh, it's a it's going to be three. They're going to do division one, division two, right. division three. There's going to be three fisheries. Give me some names of the lakes that possibly people should be looking for to see if maybe there's a glimmer of hope that the the legend is going to see these next year. The legend, the boat that you fish out of the legend will see these waters. Right. Not me, but the legend craft. alpha will see us. Your 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 my craft. My watercraft. I would go Champlain, Oneida, Thousand Islands, Norman. Although Norman, maybe not, but maybe. Um, I, it will not be, I will not, I don't want to go to Lake Douglas and I don't want to go to um, the James uh, River. The James River. I, I just don't. Either I mean, of those I, would be a, would be a killer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, nah. But you would do like a Hartwell? Yeah, Hartwell wouldn't disturb me too bad. A Lanier? Oh, God almighty. I want to fish Lanier so bad. Okay. So we're looking for anywhere in New York. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, any spotted bass, clear water spotted bass fishery in the Carolinas? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I mean, if you're going to do it, look, if I, if I, hypothetically, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm doing it to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to try to win one to make a yeah. classic. Well, also, um, I mean, to fish it with me, I mean, it would be great content. It'd be a, it'd be a ball. It'd be an absolute blast. You gotta, you have a year to put in your life where sometimes you have to do things that don't make sense. But just because you can, <laughs> and they add value to your life, and you enjoy it. Well, that's true too. I, I mean, mean that's factual. Sometimes you have to say, "Listen, I know this isn't the most logical." Well, look at me. I've been doing this for five years. I know this isn't the most logical thing to be doing, or the most economically feasible. But it adds value. Like it. To, I adds value to my life. Right. I enjoy it. It gives me a purpose when I wake up. And by God, I'm going to freaking do it. Well, there Regardless you go. Regardless of what other people think. Well, you don't do you don't do things in your life based on what other people think, or you'll be doing a lot of what you don't want to do and not much of what you want to do. Um, so I ne I never base my decisions on what I think other people are going to think because I don't really care what they think. Yeah. Um, you know, I base it on what's in the best interest of me and my family um, first, and then uh, you know that's how I that's how I operate. Like a Chesapeake Bay or something, I'd be out on that too. That's that does. I did well on the Chesapeake, um, but conditions lined up for it. Um, all the traditional ways of fishing that river weren't working, and I went and, and to I went to what I knew the most, and that was current. Okay. And I absolutely plowed them, and quite frankly, I don't want to say I should have won it because i didn't win it so if you don't win it you shouldn't win it but um i knocked my lower unit off the morning of the third day within eight minutes of the tournament and was out for the day what about a and potomac situation um the potomac I, i'm hot cold on the potomac um it's a great fishery um it's a great fishery but uh, to drive all the way down there to fish that, probably mm -hmm. not. You want smallmouth and spotted bass. That's what we're looking for for that division. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, I mean, largemouth too. But, but I, I just want like there's certain lakes that I really like. Um, and if you're going, it, it's like this. If you were, if if you were going to fish for a win. Mm -hmm. which is so hard to do, okay, you have to put the variables in your favor. So why would I take a lake that I don't have enough time on to, to relearn it or to repattern it when you could go to places that you're more comfortable with and you can get in the groove faster? Um, and so that's really it. I mean, it's not, it's not that I'm a, afraid to fish a different lake I, i'm not yeah. I, you know i just don't have the time to put in to do it properly I and, hear you. and i'm not going to throw the money in the garbage <laughs> so 
Uh, now, I mean, I've got a little bit of an inside track on where we are not going, so I don't want to either <laughs> make you jump for joy or burst your bubble. But uh, ideally, here's what I would like to see. I would, I would <laughs> like to see Norman, Lanier, and Hartwell, the Spotted Bass Tour, all in the fall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is that would that would make my heart smile. Exactly. October through no October through December. I I ideally that would be my uh Yeah, and you know, Norman used to be a real heavy blueback herring lake, but it's it's not it's changing its demeanor. It the is sh the shad are making more of a comeback in that lake and the bluebacks are dwindling. All right, Frank, this was a good show. We weren't exactly sure where it was gonna go when we jumped on. But, it but went. I learned a lot. I hope everyone else learned a lot. It was day four on day three. Uh, LureNet.com for all of your uh, BTL needs. Capital BTL 23. Yes. And BassFishingHOF.com page three bid on the Frank Scalish 101 drawing. Hold that drawing up one more time, Frank. Yes. Get, 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 let's get my drawing up to where everybody else is at. Well, you are. You're above a lot of jerseys and stuff already. Outstanding. Yeah. I mean, that would be cool in the man cave. Oh, it also includes a call from Frank Scalish, too. Yeah, don't forget that. A bloviation period. That sounds odd. <laughs> <laughs> Where we will talk about anything that we want to. How do you how did Mark say it? We will We're going to talk bass about bass fishing. fishing and anything else that we want to talk about. A.K.A. bowling in the weather. Yeah. And smart financial decisions. Which we are talking about a non-smart financial decision. Yeah. And sometimes home. straight edge rock and roll. That was his oh, yeah, favorite that's topic. True. Black flag, that type of stuff. Oh, we need to check in and see. Uh, SNU Bowling. Oh, yeah. You guys are sponsoring that now. Yep. Uh-oh. Uh, see the music? The music always does that when it's time to... Nope. Still not up. I was uh -oh. making sure if... if uh... Can you hear that? The music starts skipping every time we've been on too long. It's like, okay, we've had enough. That's that's like last call. Flickering lights. It is. Last call. Boy, it's been a <laughs> minute. It's been a minute since <laughs> I've been out when the last call happened, Frank. You know, yeah, it's been more than a minute for me. You're like, that was last Thursday. <laughs> yeah, it was last night. <laughs> on, a, on a Tuesday. Thursday, on a Tuesday. Tuesday's the new Friday. <laughs> All right. Hey, this is if, this, if this is day four today, that makes tomorrow, that makes tomorrow Friday. It is. Crack, <laughs> crack open a cold Coors. Go catch some more crappie. Thank I'm you. headed to the Hall of Fame. Have fun, dude. Say hi. All right. This has been another edition of Day 4 on Day 3 with Frank Scalish. We'll be back next Monday. Gretchen from St. Jude talking about the Dick Hiley St. Jude Bass Classic, the 25th anniversary edition of this tournament this year alone. Raised over a million dollars for St. Jude. I'll be headed up there. I'll be live from Omni on Tuesday after Monday show. Frank, have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you, you everybody, it, for tuning in. See ya.